everyone, and welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast, Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 218. And in today's post-Halloween, uh, pre-Thanksgiving, uh, kind of the middle of a hunting season podcast, I'm doing this for, uh, actually for a particular client of mine. And I, I said, I'm going to do one for you, and I think there's probably a lot of people out there who are... Uh, in the same position you are so and and what that is is they've got themselves a dog and the dog is is not a puppy anymore I mean it's a youngster but it's it's not a little puppy anymore and it has some of the basics on it it's collar conditioned the dog is force-fetched it understands retrieving it's been on the walk it knows to stay in gun range and and so that's just the very beginning those are just the fundamentals so what do you do how do you keep this going? How do you combine one that it's hunting season and so you want to go enjoy, you know, the reason that you got this dog and at the same time, how do you keep the training going because you want to get this dog as, as finished as possible, you know, so that it's just the coolest thing that, that you can have when you're out, you know, doing your thing, maybe compete a little bit, maybe get some titles, but in other words, just enjoy really the whole experience of this. So <clears throat> I want to address that, uh, particularly because right now I'm not in a position to do any training for anybody. <laughs> so I, as much as I can, I would like to help people uh, on, on what, what can you do. So a lot of this stuff depends on where you are and what is around you. And by that I mean, uh, and the individual to whom I'm speaking on this deal is in Colorado, which is a pretty good pointing lab place to be. But there's a lot of other states that are too, where there are a lot of people who know what they're doing and a lot of dogs that are really very good. And so when you're in that situation, you know, and that's Minnesota and Michigan and Iowa and the Northwest and some parts of the East Coast and, and Missouri and down through a lot of the, and, and Kansas, there's a lot of and more and South Dakota for heaven's sakes can't forget them there's a ton of those guys there so there's a lot of good places to be <clears throat> and if you are in one of those places you definitely want to take advantage of the kind of people that are around there and the knowledge base that is there now if you are somewhere where there is not so much of that if you're in I'm, I'm gonna say San Diego <laughs> or Miami or upstate New York although no there's some, there's there's some you can get some stuff in New York there's some people that know what they're doing up there um, but there's a lot of places that at least there are no known you know epicenters of of good trainers and good good dogs and, and good amateurs that, that know what they're doing so if you are in one of those places then you need to gravitate to that right so you need to if there's a local club and the clubs are growing and growing and matter of fact if there's not a local club perhaps uh and the person i'm talking to there's a very good local club right here but there you can start one i can't think of a better thing that's how you know i started the one that we have here in colorado back in the 90s so that everyone could get together and we could pool resources and pool knowledge base and pool training areas and things like that to all get together so if you're somewhere where you don't have that 
you know, and you don't always have to have pointing laps. You can have regular retrievers because they do upland too. Just the difference is what they do when they encounter the live bird. You can do stuff with the other breeds. A lot of good pointing breeds. You know, there's the spaniels. There's all kinds of stuff. So you can get into a group that has the bird activity in the upland exposure and the retrieving and all that that you want. It doesn't have to be with a pointing lab. Now, now we're opening a can of worms because there's a lot of people that, you know, if you tell them you've got a pointing lab, then they aren't going <laughs> to, they aren't going to be real open to that. And I, I will have to say, you guys, if any of you have encountered it, it is far, far less uh, present than it used to be. I'll tell you back in the in the 90s if you had a pointing lab you might as well have your Ku Klux Klan hat on I mean I mean you were identified as as something very that didn't belong there at all and now because there's so many pointing labs there's field champion pointing labs and bunches of pointing labs at the finishing the grand and finishing the master national and of course in our own APLA now the the dogs that we have there that are running a triple crown and getting all the titles. I mean, these are amazingly good dogs. And they also go across. They don't just do APLA, most of them. They do AKC and HRC, and they do a lot of different things. Uh, bird dog challenge, all kinds of things. So don't feel like um, I, I mean, you, you might have some people in another group you know, kind of look at you questioningly. Just ask them, if, hey, can you know, I respect you guys. I like what you're doing. Can I just, I'll pay to, to join this group or, or to go work with you guys if I can just get access to the training grounds and the birds. Okay, that's that's something that, that you have to do. And in the beginning, if you're not in a good place for that, then uh, do the best you can to create it because there are always people with upland dogs and, and hunting dogs. And, you know, hook in with them. Train with taller people. Train with flat coat people. Train with golden people. Instead of getting all the judgmental dumb stuff like we have in politics today, get with people who believe in dogs and care about dogs and like to work their dogs. Those are going to be the best people in the world anyway. So do that. Now, for those of you that have groups of people, um, that's a good thing to do because what you want, you either have to... Get some people or, or go where there are people. And, and here's one of the things that I really caution everybody about. If you go train with, let's just say you're training with a bunch of German short hair people. And those are super good dogs. And those people know what they're doing. And all respect. All respect to them. But when you go work with them, just as if they came to work with you and the pointing lab people, it, this is just my opinion now, you can't, they can't tell you what you have to do with your dog any more than if they came and trained with the pointing lab people. The pointing lab people go, well, all right, this is what you have to do. If you train with us, then you have to do things the way we do. Um, again, if it's in one of those kind of groups, that's not going to work very well. Just say, hey, can I pay? I'll shoot birds for you guys. I'll do whatever. Just shoot birds for me when I run my dog the way that I feel is important. So I just whatever breed a dog in whichever way you train, hold your ground when you train with other people, and you can do that. I've done it myself. You can do that. And yeah, I did it before anybody had, had a clue if I knew anything or who I was. 
because I just believed in the integrity of the training program I had and I wanted to keep that going. So that's another thing, you know, train, you can train with other people. Just hold your ground and train the way uh, that you believe. Now, if you have a good training group and you have some people that really know what they're doing, watch very carefully what everybody's dogs do, how the handlers handle them. Is that something you're comfortable with? Is that something you agree with? Are you looking and seeing something you're going, holy cow, I'm, if I have to do that, I'm never going to train dogs. I'd been in that situation a lot in my life. I've trained with some people and, and what I saw, I was absolutely never going to do and never have. And so again, hold your ground on stuff. But when you are training with people and you like the way their dog works, you like the relationship, that's real important. Watch, watch the relationship between the dog and the person. If there is no relationship and the dog is just wild and crazy, okay, maybe maybe that's not one you want to emulate because most of us with the retrievers, the relationship thing is a kind of a big deal to it. Not that everybody else's isn't, but it really is because then we're going to bring them in and they sit down to the on the couch to watch, you know, sports on television. So um, watch the relationship stuff. Make sure it's something that you would want to emulate, that you would want to have. And if you do, then pay attention to what those people say and pay attention to what they do. If you aren't around people, if you aren't around that, then what you need to do is watch, it, it again, is use the internet like you're doing right now and find out more about training of pointing, if you're, if you're a pointing lab person of pointing Labradors, find out about that. There are videos out there uh, done by a lot of uh, APLA people showing, you know, this is what beginning is, this is this, this is that. There are videos of seminars that have been given um, that are available to see. So you can learn from, again, make sure it's you're learning what, what you see and what you hear makes sense to you and is something that you would want to emulate. So you need to have, as you train your dog, a very thorough understanding, even if you're all by yourself or in a very small group of people, you do need to have a very uh, a thorough understanding of what the fundamentals are. And so I'm going to say what to me they are, and this varies when you start getting into other breeds and even with some other people. But before you do training with other people and you go hunting, make sure that you have some fundamentals present. Now, I don't believe that, that you train while you hunt. I believe that they learn while they hunt and they develop skills while they hunt. But I don't, I'm not gonna wool break a dog while they're hunting birds. I'm not gonna de-chase a dog while they're hunting birds. I'm not gonna teach in gun range while we're hunting birds. All of those fundamentals come ahead of time. That's all the thing, time in the field and, and time in the yard work, doing the yard work. All of that. Force fetch, you know, I'm not going to shoot a bunch of birds for a dog. if they. I'm not sure they're going to bring it all the way back to me in one piece. And then I'm going to make sure that I don't go hunting with the dog until they know to stay with me. And they know that I'm the boss. And, the, and so whichever way I go and whatever I want, that's kind of what we do. Now, I'm not even hardly going to take a dog hunting if it isn't de-chased. Um, they can't be de-chased until they're very bold on birds. So you can't de-chase a dog 
until they've been on enough birds to be very bold and very, very confident in what they're doing out there. So a premature de-chase is a very bad thing, particularly for pointing dogs. So make sure that your dog is very bold on birds. And when I say very, I mean like annoyingly a little too crazy. <clears throat> where you're going, I'm not, okay, I'm starting to lose control of this dog. Now we can go ahead and go in there and de-chase. But you do that before and you make the finding and, and the thrill of finding a bird uh, be trouble, then you're not going to, you're going to have some downsides. You don't want that at all. Finding birds has, this is their heroin fields, should be wonderful. So you want to make sure that you have those fundamentals in place. And particularly on the retrieving, and all of us pointing retriever people work a little bit more on the retrieving than we do on the hunting. And that is, that is, not everybody does that. Usually people work on whatever they like best, right? So if you like shooting birds in the field, you just do a whole lot of upland work and catch up on that other stuff when time allows. And that is nothing more than your own preference. Now, if you don't care for that kind of stuff, if you're not a, a, you know, someone out shooting birds and stuff, then you do a whole lot of the other stuff. You do the retrieving stuff. You do the, the collar conditioning. You do the force fetching. You work on a lot of, run a lot of marks, land, water. You do all of that. So you get that part really good. And then whenever you can, you get out in the upland field. And again, you're doing that because you're training where you're most comfortable. You're training in what's easiest to do or just the thing, the aspect that you like the most. And for everybody, experienced or new, actually what you want to do is keep a very good balance of those two things. And I don't, by balance, I don't mean 50-50. I mean, by balance, it's where the independent thinking of Upland, the you go find the bird, you use your nose, you use your head, you do this all the while staying with me and in gun range and all that stuff. Right? If you do too much of the independent thinking compared to the dependent thinking, which is don't go till I send you, go as directly as you can to it, come as directly back to me with it, don't drop it, hand it to me. That's very dependent work. That's where you tell them they know exactly what your expectations are and as much as they love the retrieving they're doing it just the way that you want it okay you need more of that dependent thinking you need days more of the dependent thinking than you do days of the independent thinking so in my own program over the years i would almost always not, not always always but almost always do one day of upland and then four or five days of various aspects of the more dependent work. The, the force fetch, the obedience, the collar conditioning, running marks, go out, come back. <clears throat> you know, anytime I call, you got to come. De-chase, all of that kind of thing. So by balance, that's what I mean. So that, because it's just like, it would be like taking an 18-year-old and saying, all right, you can party on Saturday nights and then the rest of the time you got to study and do school okay that might work getting through school but if you go all right you can party I don't know four three four nights a week and study the rest your success is going to go down right because those are two very different kind of thinking so that's why one day doing upland usually unless you really need to work harder on building the confidence and the boldness of it um, in which case, if they have too much dependent thinking, 
I'll just heal with you. I'll just walk with you. I'll just wait for you to tell me what to do. If you have too much of that, then you need to go to a few more days of the independent thinking of the woohoo, let's go find birds. That's what I'm talking about with balance so that they carry out both with confidence, with understanding, uh, and with conviction and enjoyment doing it. So nobody can tell you exactly what that is, but you've got to look at it from the balance point of view and then approach it that way. So that's a real, real important part. The other part then is to understand while you're doing this, don't, don't always rely on people so much. That's often what, what we have happen is everybody relies on whatever somebody around them says, then that's what they do. So, you know, if you're just kind of clueless, you definitely want to do that, but you want to be as unclueless as you can possibly be for this stuff. That's just, that's just, oh, golly, that's really important. So once you have fundamentals and basics and you've kind of got your life worked out, the, the, you know, these days are so darn short. Good heavens. So darn short. I mean, it's dark before you get home from work at night anymore. But you have a schedule worked out where you can get stuff done, even if it's by getting up earlier in the morning or by coming home at lunch or doing something in the middle of the day. Do that. And it's structured so that you have that balance between the independent, you know, wild looking for birds thing. And then the other part is following the rules and learning how to mark well and dig birds out of difficult places and fight the factors like wind and cover and terrain and and all the kind of factors that you need to be working on that at the same time. <coughs> Pardon me. Distance is something that you should incorporate into your uh, running marks and blinds. <coughs> Excuse me. But it isn't the goal. And oftentimes I see that is, look how long my dog can do. You, know, you can go out 350 yards and they, they should be able to do that in case you wing something and it goes a long ways. But you don't want to do that. So look at how far I can stretch my dog out. And then when you have a, a 47 yard mark, the dog overruns at 100 yards. So again, a balance there. Teach your dog to go where the bird fell. Bumper, whatever you're throwing. The more birds you can use, the better, obviously. But that's why you need a freezer out in the garage for all the dead stuff. But be careful when you do the marks that they're not all short. If all, all everything you do is your hand thrown distance and then you go out there and drop a pheasant and it sails 300 yards away, it may be very difficult for your dog to find that out there, to actually understand to continue further than they go every single day. So in designing just the simple program that you're doing right now with a, a dog with just the very fundamental basics on it, you need to take into account and keep a balance. Sometimes they need to go long. That's going to require either somebody else throwing for you or you putting your dog on a sit and staking them down, walking out and throwing something a long ways and coming back and sending them. The poor man's marks. You have to do whatever it takes to teach these dogs. Sometimes you go long, sometimes you go medium, sometimes you go short. Sometimes you do both. That's a that's real important. And don't always throw stuff in the cover or always throw it not in the cover. Sometimes vary that. 
you know, cover is a big deal to a dog. So teach them that sometimes you go into it and hunt. And sometimes you don't go all the way into it and hunt. And sometimes you go through it and out the other side to hunt. So there's many things like that that you can do uh, to keep that dog kind of sharp. So there's not enough time always to accomplish all these things. You know, teach your dog, I don't know, maybe you duck, uh, jump shoot ducks. Teach your dog to walk along, be given a sit, boom, something, a mark goes down, and they got a sit. So it's a good time to work on steadiness stuff. For your pointing guys, this is a good, in my opinion, time to work on the woe breaking, teaching them what woe means. Not in the field, but in your house and in your yard and on the walk and on all kinds of different places you do. Woe does not mean, look, my dog will stand there and not move when I say woe. It means a whole lot more than that. It means you're done. When I say, whoa, you're done. No matter what happens, guns going off, things getting thrown, people doing crazy things, getting down on the on the floor like you're going to do smooch mode and patting your, patting your thighs. Didn't call them or anything. That's not fair. But do everything you can so that this dog learns when, when I hear the word, whoa, I'm just done. And there's just so much to that. So I have a whole video out on just how to do that stuff. That's that's a real important part of that. So that you can do in all of your days that you're not doing upland. But you do need to do upland. You do need to do it. And if you're going to have to train on the wild birds that are where you are, that's the best training bird there is in the world, then do that. You know, but you may not be shooting them all. If all you are is a hunter and not a dog trainer, don't listen to this podcast. But if you're both, then if wild birds is all you have, you know, I have some clients that had wild quail in, in uh, West Texas. Man, those dogs were good. They pointed a long ways off uh, because you can't go up real close to a covey of quail. And so they used those dogs for training, and it was excellent and not too expensive either. So get creative about what you're doing and make sure that you keep a balance on that. And nobody, not the people you train with, not me, no one, can tell you what that balance is. If one of them is getting a little, you know, if, if they're going out in the upland field and just healing because they're too worried about trying to do what you say, then you've got to, you're out of balance. You got too much dependent thinking, not enough independent thinking. Conversely, if you go out in the upland field and you can't even reel them in and you're, you're having to use an electric collar to try to control this dog, and then the, you go over on the marks and the dog is swining and making noise because they want to go and they're squeaking and they're moving and they're wiggling. Okay, we got a real out of balance situation here the other way. And you've got to kind of drop the control hammer on them and teach them, hey, when we're doing this stuff, I'm important. And what, what the rules are are important. So then we back off of going out and shooting a bunch of birds no matter what. Get that control stuff back, the dependent thinking present, and then you can go out and begin to keep the balance again. So probably the biggest job you have, particularly as a new person and with a dog that's, you know, going through the ropes of learning this stuff, is learning how to read that balance and keep that balance. Because I guarantee you every good professional trainer in the world does that with their dogs. They're sitting there going, look at these suckers are kind of sad and they all look kind of down and I'm having to drag them out to train. I need to change things up a little bit and get this attitude changed. So that's how you look at that. 
Now, the one last part of this that I want to talk about is um, advancing. So everybody, especially if you really like your dog and you're around people that have the really cool dogs, and, you know, that's a really, everybody, that's what I want, and that's a good thing. It's a really good thing to have a goal on that. But advancing is not the goal. What you want, I mean, that's ultimately what you want to have happen. But what you want is to have a thing set up with your dog so that you understand where their head is when we're doing this. You understand where that balance is all the time. You know, oh, they're a little too wild. Oh, they're a little bit too subdued. I need, you need to get that worked out between the two of you and in your understanding of the dog long before you start doing new more challenging things. Generally, the next step after you have the, the collar conditioning and the force fetch and, you know, they know how to retrieve and come back and they know how to stay in gun range and go look for birds. Once you have that in there really well, the next kind of two places that you work, one is steadiness. Um, if they're pointing, steadiness on the point. And then, of course, steady, you know, steady to wing is steady to shot. Don't go get all that right now. But that's the next thing is you want real genuine steadiness out there. And then, and not the kind of steadiness that's, well, if I have a collar on, they're good. But if they, if I don't, they don't. I mean, like real steadiness. It doesn't matter what tool they have on. They understand what the rules are. Over in the upland field, that's one of the things you want. On the other part is, of course, steadiness on all the retrieves and all that. And you want to begin the handling program. Okay, so a real good wool break and de-chase takes time. All the fundamentals have to be in place. All the understanding on the part of the dog has to be there and the balance has to be there. And you won't hear that very often. If you're having troubles in one of these areas, a lot of times it's because the balance isn't there and you don't know why you're having such difficulty getting this wool breaking across or getting the pile work across or whatever it is. And then on the handling side, you have to have that dog very reliable on the fetch and steady and understanding when you say sit, boom, I have to sit. And if I tell you to pick something up, you have to pick it up. You have to have that, not where you, yeah, I kind of got it. You have to have that where you understand. Now, if you're going to do the work on this dog, you need to understand that you're basically going into, I, I always say, you know, we're going from algebra into calculus now. We're going to do a different kind of math that has different kind of squiggles on it and different kind of things. And it doesn't always make sense when you look at it. So before you even dream about starting that, you need to understand what it is. And you need to understand that the little tiny details that you have right now, like when you say sit, boom, it means sit. And they don't get up again. And that when you say heel and you walk forward three steps, they walk forward three steps and then sit again. And you have those details really uh, entrenched in the dog. And when you say fetch, boom, they pop down and get whatever it is you want. Because you can't advance through the more advanced handling stuff until you have what I'll call basic perfection in that other stuff. And anybody who kind of scoffs at that a little bit, it's like you want to go through the handling program when you're starting out with as close to perfection as you can get. 
much easier when you're not battling two or three things. You're just battling one. Because the first part of all that is when you go from fetching one bumper to fetching a dozen repeatedly. And the goal on this, you guys, everybody, the goal is not distance. Good, I got him fetching. I'm going to get it further and further and further away. That is not the goal. The goal is the response to the command fetch. You need to have that real short neural path right there where you say fetch and boom, they pop there and get it. They get it to the right, they get it to the left, and then after you get right and left, you can have it right behind them. Again, we're just several feet away, that's all. But if I put out my right hand, they pop over to my right and pick a bumper up, come back in front of me, over to the left. This isn't a how-to, but I'm just telling you, it's the response. Get the distance thing out of there. You don't need that. Um, now, because you're, all of your ability to put distance into the handling, into the going on back and all that, is entirely dependent on how much your dog believes in that fetch and then ultimately that back command. It needs to be something they don't think about. They just automatically respond. They are conditioned to do it. So before you start any handling, you want that level of stuff in there. And it's not that easy. It looks all easy when you see someone else doing it. <laughs> but when you're trying to get that level of stuff, you find out it's very demanding on you and it's very demanding on your dog. So that's where people in the, you know, that are getting, starting to get through this, it's not as exciting. You see all the cool stuff. You watch those, you know, TC dogs go over there and just slam those points and never move. And nobody has to tell them a thing. And, and then, you know, they can run a, a blind, that little hairpin blind for 400 yards. So when you see all that stuff, it looks so cool, right? You have no clue how much work went into that to get to that level of response in those dogs. And it all starts by level of response on these very most fundamental things. So for the next several months, for everybody that's kind of starting into this, start with that. If you have that strong of a, of a it's simplified and clear, just clarity is so important thing with your dog, then as you move into the steadiness and you move more into the handling, it goes way better because you're not battling anything with your dog. You've created this relationship where they go, well, okay, explain it to me. Show me what you want. Show me what your expectations are and I'll do my best to do it. That's where you set that up was on the easy stuff. So take advantage of this right now while you're doing this with your dog. So that's today. Um, it's starting to get cold. Although my, uh, I, my son is up in Montana and it was five degrees there one day and it was 71 here. So it's kind of different all over the place, but winter's coming. So make sure that your dogs are in shape and taken care of in this cold, but make sure that for all you guys that are serious about training, um, make sure even when you're hunting that you're more with the new guys, that you're more training than you are hunting. Um, have somebody else there to shoot the bird. I don't know something. But keep your standards real high while you're working with your dog and then you get one of those tricked out dogs that everybody wants one of because it just looks so easy. It's a, it's a long road and it's based on detail and <clears throat> clarity. So I hope that helps. Trying to get back on the swing of things here. Um, my life's still kind of upside down. 
but I love this podcast and I'm going to keep doing this and I hope everybody is going to have a safe wonderful holiday season safe hunting season and I will be back uh, soon